In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifice. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you. They're looking at what made you. I want them talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Barty. Hello, Barty. Happy New Year, everyone. And our tactics guy, and a man who spent all of 2024 researching our new centre-back signing, it's Nathan O'Clock. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Hard at it already, straight in the new year. Uh, Spurs seemingly going to get a deal done early. Bardi, you were sceptical about it, and uh, it looks like they're going to prove you wrong. Tom, to get it done, better word. <laughs> the, the, the lengths Tottenham Hotspur will go to, to to make me look like an idiot is <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, never, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. Lovely stuff. Um, yeah, Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Um, hope you had a, a great break or are still having a great break in some cases. A um, couple of little shout outs. Firstly, lovely email from David Robinson of Houston Spurs. So thank you so much for that. Thanks also to the following for their emails. Uh, Tony McLaughlin, Caleb Bender, Zach Frank, Josh Emden, Mark Bird, Adrian Clift, Keith Stahl, Neil Rutherford, Oliver Bramley, Phil Krebs, Ian Gamble, Alexander Nathan, Gianni Nico Cinelli, Matthew Hooten, and Rick Kay. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate all the correspondence we get at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. It's um, really nice to read your emails. And um, of course, your questions really help uh, when putting together the podcast running order. So that's that's great and hugely appreciated. I've got two matches to talk about. We've got transfers to talk about. We've got the Burnley FA Cup match to talk about. So much going on with Spurs at the moment. I think we should probably start with the two matches, though, and um, best, I think, to go with the most recent, because it's freshest in our memories, and that is the Bournemouth game. Um, and it was a, an interesting match. I think that the word that I would use to uh, describe our performance in this match is resilient. I thought there were a lot of positive qualities on display for Spurs, albeit it was a struggle at times. Um, Bardi, how did you feel going into the Bournemouth match, especially after having lost to Brighton? I mean, they really were the form team for us to play. It was really a, a bad time to play them. Um, 
And I was concerned. They're good, about aren't it. they? I was concerned Ooh, about it. It's team. almost like we're going to face like a, a bright and light kind of thing, a team that would would cause us problems. So I, I was very concerned about it. And Spurs love playing a, a striker in form, and Solanke, my boy, my god, that boy is hot at the moment. So uh, yeah, mm. I was concerned. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Nathan. Um, I mean, obviously, I think that we probably all agree that Bournemouth look a really good team. The manager's doing really good things. Solanke is in incredible form. I mean, Solanke is just a good player and I'm yep. really glad that he's starting to prove that now at the highest level. Um, it's taken him a while, but it's, it's really coming together for him. But they have options all over the pitch and their bench was really strong as well. They had a much stronger bench than we did. <laughs> Including Tottenham fan Alex Scott, right? And reported previous Tottenham target, of course. And Semenyo, who I am a big fan of um, on the bench as well. I was quite pleased to see him on the bench, but obviously when he came on, I was a bit kind of worried about the impact that he might have. Um, Mason, any <laughs> thoughts on how the game went? So just just on, on, on who came on for Bournemouth, also Max Aarons came on and played, uh, was it Richardson on side by like 15 yards for no reason, completely way off his head of Max. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, what was your question? Max Aarons really is a, a blast in the past, isn't he? Do you remember when we were all, it, get Max Aarons in, well, a few of us were. But yeah, I wasn't. I, I never liked, I never thought he was that good. Uh, but Spurs, Spurs, fan base on the whole desperately wanted to sign Max Aarons for about four years <laughs> and now he's on Bournemouth bench bless him um yeah Nathan I was just saying how did, how did you feel the game went um hmm. did you have any thoughts specifically on this one yeah I I, I um because when we played Bournemouth last time right um obviously Bournemouth weren't they didn't quite have things together with their present yeah. game and, and that's come on for them since um but we approached we approached it quite similarly both times. Bournemouth approached it quite similarly both times in that um, Bournemouth set up to uh, use their centre forward to divide the pitch in half. And then when the ball is on, you know, with one of the centre backs as opposed to the other, they can then sort of arrive man to man as the pass is made. And in both occasions, we lent on our, our 1v1 ability to manipulate that situation to our advantage. And in the first game, we were doing that with... Uh, Van de Ven, Bissouma, Udogi, Madison. <laughs> and in this game, we were doing it with, you know, Davies, Royale, Bentoncourt. And so um, it, it wasn't quite as good. <laughs> but but I think that um, we had certainly moments of success, right? And I think there's a lot of similarities between the two games we're going to talk about today in that um, against Bournemouth, against Brighton, early game, we came out pretty hot and we did all right. Yeah. Through the middle period, the opposition were all over us and, 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 and their pressing game shut us down. Our pressing game dropped off and then late game, we rallied and went for it. Uh, both times we made, hmm, definitely in the Bournemouth game, we made a tactical adjustment and brought, again, we did our, a classic thing we've been doing, which is bring Hoiberg in um, to create more of a midfield two. And I do think that disrupted Bournemouth's press a little and opened up the pass from the centre-back to the winger by mm -hmm. by we played more narrow, so Bournemouth had to play more narrow and therefore there's the direct pass out wide, right? But I also think that maybe more significantly, or at least as significantly, is because we had another player deeper, we were slightly better at winning the second ball when we played long because for a hell of a lot of the game, we were playing the ball long and losing the second ball to Bournemouth. Um, and again, yeah, quite quite similar to with Brighton. Um, Brighton... Um, Sorry, I appreciate I'm jumping all over the place. Um, Brighton did what Man City did to us, which is they pressed in a diamond shape, a 4-4-2 diamond. And so the idea is that when we build with our two centre-backs and a number six, that matches up with their two forwards and their number 10. 
Um, and again, uh, what we did against Man City is we then dropped another midfielder in um, alongside, and then we had a four versus three in in the first phase of play against Man City. We tried to do that against Brighton, and Brighton's number six, Billy Gilmore, just followed the Celso or Saar all the way up the pitch, um, meaning that they were putting up an incredibly, incredibly aggressive and committed press. And we didn't take advantage of it. Um, we didn't feel equipped to take advantage of it in that game. Um until the latter stages when it was already gone. Yeah, because and I think that that's when Brighton had gone, well, we've got like a three, four goal lead, so we'll just, we'll, and we're tired, so we'll drop off now, and that allowed us into the game, rather than really a tactical or positional tweak. So it'll be interesting um, if when we've got a, a stronger 11, um, and more press-resistant players to, to play, um, how we adjust to a team going really all out to press in like a essentially a, a 4-2-4 against us, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and there were some really interesting individual matchups in these two matches. Um, obviously, I mean, probably three of the highest pressing teams in the Premier League, mm. Spurs, Brighton and Bournemouth at the moment. Um, and in our case, in particular, players playing with a lot of fatigue, players who haven't just played every game. They've A lot of them have played every minute of every game. And it's really telling. And I think the Brighton game was a story of fatigue to me. And I, I think uh, Ange pretty much said the same post-match. Yeah. You know, some of these guys, God bless them, have, have not had a minute off, let alone a game off. I'm, I'm thinking about Porro in particular, um, but Son as well. Uh, he barely ever comes off. He looks absolutely exhausted. And now he goes off to the Asian Cup uh, where he'll play many more games. And, and that is not ideal. Um, but really, two really interesting performances and matchups and I honestly think that we weren't that different in the, between the two matches things just went our way in Great. one and, and didn't go our way in the other like against Brighton yeah. we conceded a couple of penalties and Estupinan smashes one into the top corner against Bournemouth we kind of ride our luck a bit with the way the ball bounced in the box and then we took our chances whereas against Brighton we, we failed to oh so Vicario was oh. absurd through both games right he is in the most ridiculous string of form. Um, Bardi, I want to come to you because you've been sitting there very patiently. Um, in the Bournemouth game in particular, I thought we started well. And I thought in that early period, Udogi and Saar in particular were really impressive. Yeah, I mean, we started both games pretty well. And unfortunately, things just turned against us. But it was nice to um, it was nice to see Benton come back in there and do a real kind of like, a positive movement to cut down that passing and create the goal. And it was a nice little tackle from from La Celso as well. My biggest concern is we're giving up a hell of a lot of shots at the moment. I mean, I don't yeah. I don't remember Spurs giving up that many shots before, especially not against like a, a team like Bournemouth. So that that's a huge worry at the moment. But then against all of that. There is Emerson playing at centre-back. So it's that kind of thing. It was good to get the three points out of this game, but hopefully we, we don't need to see that for too much longer because it's it's a real mm. concern, the amount of shots. Like you say, eventually Vicario's got to not be Superman and he's going to start letting more goals in. Yeah. And um, that, I think that's a very reasonable um, observation. And I think when that happens, we, can, we can't suddenly turn on Vicario because the, the performance levels at the moment are beyond anything that anyone could expect. Yeah, and against against Brighton, it was too... Especially the Kulisewski penalty, that that was... 
that was really stupid. And Lacelso's, I think, was probably born out of um, a desire just to just to go get the ball. But it was a ridiculous challenge. Yeah. So I think I think the big difference between the two games is where we could like punch ourselves in the face against Brighton. We did, and against Bournemouth, we we rode our luck, and ultimately Sonny scored a beautiful goal, and we were just a bit mm. more um, a bit more cl- clinical. But Richarlison did when Richarlison missed that chance at one 0 I was concerned that it, the game might turn mm. on that, but um, mm. it didn't. And I, it, this, these games will just this would just become a footnote, you know, a footnote in the kind of the, the history and the story of of Postecoglou. I completely agree. I want to pick up on the point you made about um, conceding a lot of shots because we, we did, we've we had a lot of questions about um, the centre-back. This was sent uh, by Kiesel after the Brighton game. He says, I love Ange and I love the football and results of the season. Uh, but in what world is Royale a better centre-back than Dyer? Dyer was admittedly poor last season, making many bad errors and often running backwards failing to make a tackle or jockey properly. Royal, though, was such a bad right-back that I think most fans wanted him permanently dropped. Um, yet he, now he's picked in a role that he's neither suited to nor can possibly understand. I understand that Dyer isn't for Ange, I get that, but he seems to be cutting off his nose to spite his face by not picking him now. And uh, Petter said, we've all been very concerned about the Royale and Davis partnership and we've shipped quite a few goals with it, but I'm trying to think of any goals caused by outright mistakes by the central defenders and they have been few, if any. Has the main impact of Romero and Van der Ven's absence been offensively slower build-up, not so high line and our defensive issues caused by a makeshift midfield failing in build-up and giving away too many turnovers? Um, If it's okay, I'd like to have a a, a stab at responding to those first. I I think um, I found... I mean, on the, on Dyer, I, I do get it. I completely get why Ange has gone for Royale over Dyer because we know Dyer's leaving. He's 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 made it clear that he wants to leave at the end of the season or before if he can. He tried to leave in the summer. He's running down his contract. And so it would be reasonable for Dyer to have checked out somewhat at this point and for him not to be you know putting his all in in training or whatever. Also, Emerson Royale is one of the most committed players you're ever likely to have. He's the the man tries like few other players try. He's such a hard worker. He's a lovely, exuberant character. His teammates love him. I imagine Ange really enjoys his personality. Um and, you know, he's he's tenacious. Uh but I have been really frustrated by the selection of Emerson Royale Dyer, even with the lack of pace of Dyer on the on the um on the running back towards goal thing. Uh, but I think personally, the reason for the number of shots we're conceding is because Royale can't play centre back. I think his performance against Brighton at centre back is one of the worst Spurs centre back performances I've seen for many years, and that's not his fault. He doesn't play centre back. He's he hasn't chosen himself there. I blame Ange for this. But um, with Van der Ven and with Romero, what you get is this proactive snuffing out of chance creation before it even becomes chance creation they're so on it they're so um on the front foot they anticipate so well that they stop things before they even become a glimpse of an idea and what we see with emerson Roy and to some extent ben davis who i think has done well but i think this applies to him as well they're so reactive it's with emerson Roy in particular is so reactive he's waiting for things to happen so that he can then decide what to do and how he handles those situations rather than assertively going and, and snuffing out things and again like i said that's not his fault it's not the player he is he's not a center back even when he plays right back he plays in this reactive way he um he loves a tackle, but he's always waiting for the ball to come into the player to then go in for the tackle. Whereas Romero's there. He's he's stopping the ball getting anywhere near the player in the first place. And it, it does make a huge difference. And I think um, 
we ended up sinking deeper and deeper as a result uh, and putting ourselves under a lot of pressure. Both teams had a lot of touches in the box, but especially Brighton. And I, I, I personally think that is the key reason for why we've conceded a high shot volume. And I think as soon as we get another centre-back in, I think things calm down a lot. And I think we'll notice a big difference. I agree. I agree with pretty much everything you said there about Dyer and Royale. It's not like they're, they're booting the ball in their own net or they're tripping up players and they're being the direct result, the direct cause of a goal we've conceded. But I just think the general positioning is allowing opportunities to, to almost be created. And there, there was one, a couple of times, Bournemouth just went long and Emerson and Royale, uh, Emerson and uh, Davies would totally misjudge the header or they'd go for the header and not win it. Or Royale would just kind of flick it to the wrong place. There's there's so many instances where a situation doesn't even arise because Romero or Van der Ben or a defender of, of higher quality just, just shuts it down. I think what you get with Dyer is perhaps you get this guy who can win a header here and there, but I think you get way less um, reactivity. So he's, he's nowhere near as proactive. So Davies, Royale and Dyer, neither of them are proactive, but the mm. difference is Royale and Davies have some form of reaction, have some form of ability to get back and recover. Whereas Dyer just has no he Dyer has no recovery. He goes for a night out. He's he's done for five he's done for five days. <laughs> the thing the thing that I think Dyer has over um Royale though is the positioning and Royale's positioning was a com- I mean, honestly, I was watching some of his positions against Brighton thinking, oh, like has he even trained at centre back before? I mean, obviously he's not played there because it's not his role, but it, it it looked like a fish out of water at times. It was better against Bournemouth, which shows that he's learning and growing, which is good. Um, but that's what Dyer has. But it's a toss-up as to which yeah. is better because obviously Royale has the recovery pace, like you say. Um, every, Nathan, anything you want to add? Thing, and every set piece is a madness with, with Royale and Davies in there. There's just Perhaps Dyer would be better, but then <laughs> I've always said the space behind Dyer is where I would like to live. So I, I don't think so. Get get the big Romanian chap in and let's, let's start smacking some headers out of there. Who was it who just... It was a few weeks ago now. A team that we played quite well against, but they just obliterated us on set pieces. Uh, yeah. Villa. Villa. Villa was would be the example of that game. But like, um, um, I think I feel fairly differently on this. So first of all, just on on Dyer versus Royale, um, I think it's pretty much entirely about mobility and not really about anything else, to be honest. Um, which is again not to make out that like I'm happy with Emerson Royale playing centre back for his long term. That's just the state that we're in due to injuries and and lack of depth and suspensions and and fatigue and everything else. Um, but fatigue, I think, is the main issue um, for us defensively as a whole. Like the reason that we've allowed um, Bournemouth to have like a 35 minute period of the game where they're dominating possession, dominating territory, dominating shots. Um, is not really due to our centre-backs. Um, again, defensively imperfect. Um, I guess probably more importantly, their offensive limitations are what puts us into that position, right? So they're they're they're, they're both decent ball players, but they're not Van der Ven and, and, and Romero, right? Um, they're not super safe with it, basically. Um, yeah, I, I think I think um, I think 
due to our sort of compounding fatigue issues, the fact that we um, are struggling to keep up our intensity for, I mean, at the moment we're doing sort of a 20 minute period at the start of the game and a half an hour period at the end of the game. That's been the, that's been the pattern the last two. Um, I think if we had Romero and Van der Venen, we'd still be having those periods um, where we where we're dropping off, and I do I do accept that Van der Ven allows the pressure because of his incredible recovery pace. But I think there's fatigue in the front line. Like Richarlison looks tired, and he is someone who just is wild with how much intensity he plays with all the time. You know, um, he's a, he's an absolute pressing monster. So um, I don't think it's I don't think it's our quality or depth at centre back that is is allowing oppositions into games at the moment. It's just another factor. Interesting. I think I think we're playing deeper as a result of of having these two at centre back. I think we're also just not backing up our press as effectively. I think they're nervous to do so because they don't have the proactive game reading abilities as their as our first choice centre backs. And I think that it all falls down because of that. Um, and mm-hmm. when the balls when the opposition teams are playing the ball forward um, early, I think it's because they know that we're weak at centre back. They know we can we can be got at. And we're seeing lots of, against Brighton in particular, we saw loads of balls played in behind um, uh, for essentially all of their front three to run on to. Um, and we looked terrified. And, and Porro, I thought, looked really slow on the recovery uh, several times against Brighton, which I think is a sign of fatigue because Porro is not a slow player. You know who wasn't slow on the recovery? Udogi, who saved about four oh, goals just with oh, incredible so, recovery runs. So good against Bournemouth. I mean... He he is incredible. Yeah. He is an incredible player because not only did he do that, not only did he save the day three or four times sweeping back across, but he also was a real threat going forward as well. And it's not just him being a direct threat. It's his movement creates space for others. He's so intelligent off the ball. Ah, oh, God, I need to do a deep dive into where he learned to play football because there's something special with yeah, this he's boy. He's Italian. We we just we just we're born with that ability to defend and play football. That's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, defend. But, um. <laughs> um, Bardi, your boy Sar scored a lovely goal against Bournemouth. Really, really nice finish into the far corner. It kind of just opened up for him. I, I was screaming at my at my mm. screen, pass, 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 and then he took that extra touch moved it wide and it opened up the left side of the goal and he picked out the corner beautifully and he has just signed a new contract until 2030. I'm so happy. I, re- I really, really like him. I, I, he's, I've had a thing for him for a while. Um, I, I was in Milan when, he, when, when Conte played him and Skip in centre midfield and he, and he looked good and I thought, he did. I thought Conte was going to play him some more but he didn't. He put the, the Viking straight back in. So um, it's really great that um, Postecoglou's put so much faith in Saar, and I, th- I think he's I think he's delivered, man. He's, he's scored what two goals this season. I think he's he's been a little bit overworked. He's played with a ramshackle midfield around him, but he he's great. And I he is he going to the Africa Cup of Nations? His injury is not it's not too serious, is it? Okay, I think so. good. I'm glad because he going. looked really distraught at that. And even though I don't want him to go, I don't want him to miss out. I I really like him, and I'm delighted that we've signed him and. And destiny on long-term deals. We way overperformed our expected teenagers going off the pitch in tears. In <laughs> yeah, I mean, when's that ever happened before? So uh, presumably it was because of the threat of missing the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, Valise, I guess, 
either knows he's got a really bad injury or maybe he thought he was going to get the start against Burnley and is just devastated. Always, yeah, yeah. his pain threshold pain. is just really low. He looks well, it looked a bad like way. his kneecap no. so like, uh, that sounds pretty painful. Your boy, your boy, Joyberg, playing him through when he's only got one leg as well, when the, when the pass <laughs> was the other side. Someone, someone, someone oh added me on... Um, on Twitter and said, please, please mention this in the pod. So there you go. I, I, I honestly don't know what went through his mind. Like, if how could he have missed that Valise was down for that long and was limping heavily? It was so... And it wasn't even, like, the most sensible pass anyway. <laughs> um, Maybe. I think there's a case that you played to Valise so that he can play it to Sun. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess. I guess. I, I, tweeted, uh, about, I tweeted a screenshot of it last night and people are upset that I'm being incredibly mean to Hoybier. But I, to be honest, it's just it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's funny that he well, would do that, you know? Ho- Hoybier is a meme at this point. Um, mm. sp- a lot of Spurs fans are over him completely and it's best for all parties if he moves on having said that uh i thought he was one of the only players against brighton that actually showed up and i thought he was really good when he came on against um bournemouth for the for the reason that that you said nathan i think the tactical switch that poster cogley made was a masterstroke um skip when he came on for sar was a complete mess about his first five involvements were horrendous and then we brought hoybier on and moved to a double pivot and there were three benefits of that. Uh, firstly, I think it really helps Skip settle into the game to have someone close to him and, and working in tandem with him. Um, secondly, I thought Koibia just added a degree of control to our midfield. And thirdly, it pushed Lacelso further forward where he was brilliant. I, I thought he really excelled as, as the sort of freer 10 um, in the latter half of the Bournemouth game. He was dribbling, he was creative passing, he was snapping in tackles. And he looked shot at the end as well. Understandably, he's not played much football. He he um, looked absolutely gassed when he finally came off. But I was really, really pleasantly surprised by Lacelso again. Uh, he, he's done well. Um, we got this question from Alan Clark. He said, I only watched it on Twitter, but the Bournemouth game looked a lot like we got outplayed and hit them on the break twice in the second half. Given this was against a mid-table team at home, is this the birth of Angonio Postacogli? Ang- Angonio. <laughs> I think you'd probably go Angonio. Angonio. Yeah, I like that. Uh, what do you reckon, Nathan? Some, some. It was it was a little Conte this game, uh, or certainly period. Maybe that's why I liked it um... so much. <laughs> 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 but but you know the good period where we actually got mm. our counters off at all, and but then you got the rally at the end. That's very Conte. Mm. Uh, mm. Both 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 games again. Uh... Yeah, I guess um suggest a tiny bit of merit to the idea that it was the players all along, except that we've also seen these even these players play some pretty exceptional football this season, maybe in more preferred positions or uh surrounded by other players. Mm. Uh or, you know, just for the opening twenty minutes of the game before they <laughs> get tired, right? Um, yeah, it kind of is what it is at the moment. We know that what we can do and what we're, we're we'll hopefully be back to with some more depth and so mm. on later on in the season um, with some more players in and some players back from injuries and suspensions. Yeah, decent counters though. To be fair, like it's not like there's not been any practice of counters, but then the way that we counter is very similar to the way that sometimes we just play our possession game fast. So it's all it's all the same really. Mm. Yeah, some really really nice counter attacking. I I thought uh, Johnson was very important impressive in the Bournemouth game I really liked his choice of crosses uh, I thought he struggled against Brighton but I yeah. came back strong against Bournemouth for me so I think basically the difference between the two performances there is that like in the Brighton game he received the ball um, 
uh, our side of the opposition defence, uh, whereas maybe in the Bournemouth game he received the ball more often through mm-hmm. the other side of the opposition yeah. defence. And basically, he's two different players in those situations. He he really um, he really lacks any kind of confidence to to take his man on, or other than or, when it's just a pure race. Yeah, yeah. When it's a, when it's a straight foot race, but if he's got the ball to his feet already and he's and the players ahead of him, um, he doesn't try to invent a foot race that he could then win, right? Which is a shame because like I, I feel like he could potentially do that. The Gareth Bale um, thing. He did it against uh, he did it against City. So he did it against Kyle Walker of all people. So yeah. you can beat Kyle Walker in a foot race, mate. You know, give Max Aaron's a go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. For sure. um, but um, yeah, he. He frustrates me, I think, when um, when there's a defender in front of him because, okay, he's not trying to take him on, but he's also not trying an aggressive pass. He's not trying to create room or, or whatever. He just looks to lay off the ball and therefore sort of responsibility as soon as possible because because I, I described, described him the other day on Discord as like a wide poacher, a fox outside the box. His, he He's here in the squad for goals and assists and he's not going to do a lot else. And when he doesn't get a goal and assist, he's going to frustrate us, which is interesting because like... Um, kind of playing two and a half players <laughs> like that in the team <laughs> at once is uh it's a bit it's a bit much it's a bit heavy uh on that end um i don't know man like i don't want to i don't want to shit all over brennan johnson because he's definitely a good player and he will get goals and assists but we sure paid a hell of a lot of money and a homegrown spot for a player who won't really affect the play except for when he's through but when he's through he's good but- Lovely, lovely cross again, that same cross. For I think the thing about Johnson is he gets the ball so little that it's almost like when he gets it, we're, we're expecting it. We're asking him to do a lot. So like only Richarlison has the ball less than Johnson. And mm. it's almost like we're ex- if he doesn't yeah, if, he, if he doesn't do something, if he doesn't do that cross or tap in at the back post, it's pretty much he hasn't been involved at all in the game. And I don't know yeah. if we can if we can keep carrying somebody like that. I don't know. I don't. I think perhaps we can do it with the centre forward, but we can't do it. Even Sonny now he's moved wide, he's getting the ball more and doing more things. Perhaps they're not brilliant, but he's still a little bit more involved. Yeah. I just don't think Johnson's not. What's the word? Decisive. He, in those twenty times he has the ball, he's just not decisive enough to make a real impact. So um, he's got time to grow, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, he is. It was a lot of money on a player not that decisive. I just think. Um... He, he'll he always be a really useful tool in the squad because there'll always be occasions where like, oh, you know, their left back or their right back um, is positioning quite aggressively and and uh, we're playing through the press occasionally. Let's get Brennan Johnson on because he'll get behind and he's good for goals and assists in that situation. But, and of course, this is not his fault in any way. I sure wish we had in the squads a player who would create from situations where he receives defeat more often. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I've been a bit frustrated that uh, Iago Santiago hasn't been involved a bit more because I think he could be that player like he has been that player for the under 21s yeah. uh, and and yet when he's been on the bench he's not even had the odd five minutes here to see if he can sort of compete physically do you think that um physicality is the issue for him that he's just not going to be sort of as fast or intense enough for this level of football um, or is it more the fact that because he's older now, he's just seen as not having a development plan aligned to elite football? I think, I I just think Ange is a bit reticent to use young players. I think it's... Use Feliz, use Donnelly a bit. He He's barely used Donnelly. Like Donnelly's played a, a, a second, seconds essentially. Feliz has played more, he was a signing. I mean, yeah, I think this is, this is the thing, isn't it? Like this is the way it happens with youth development at Spurs. 
if you sign them, they get to play. If they come through <laughs> the academy, they more often than not don't. I get uh, that. I, it's a frustration for me. I, I, I think um, there are other young players he's used as well. So Brian Hill is, yeah. I think it's fair to say, still a young player. And he's he has come on and he has been used. Pat Matasar is a young player. He's been used. But they're all ones who've had experience elsewhere. And I think it's very normal for coaches to only play the ones that have had experience and, and not use the other ones and to not be the ones to give them their first chance. And for me to expect anything different is probably asking a bit too much in the context of Premier League football. But given the injury crisis, I found it frustrating. Yeah, I think for a start, I think a significant amount of our best young talent is already out on loan, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Right. And then you've got Donnelly, who is behind like Madison, then Kulosevsky, then Lucelso for his for yeah. his role in the team. And then the two centre-backs, both of whom, again, I like, I just think aren't ready. Uh, Phillips is not ready on the ball. Dorrington is not ready off the ball. Um, and if they came in and, and dropped a disaster class, that's really negative for their development, right? Um, so it's like, I definitely get what you're saying on a larger scale, especially when we look beyond just Postecoglou. But I feel like the situation at the moment, you can kind of explain each and every mm-hmm. one of them individually. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I probably at this stage rather see Santiago than Hill. <laughs> Uh, really yeah really really so you you've not been impressed by brian's cameos i've been really disappointed with brian's cameos um and like i was i was saying conta needs to play him conta needs to play him a lot last season and i thought you know he's the right profile to play uh, you know the the angible winger but he's just not and and he hasn't seen a ton of the pitch but he's just not done anything (laughs) he's tried that's so interesting i've really felt like he's he's done stuff when he's come on i felt like he's really made a difference in both games obviously he missed a sitter the 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 (laughs) moment where hoibier twinkle toes hoibier dances through to a touchline and puts in a perfect cross it's on a plate for heel all he has to do is head it into the net and he hits the bar oh man but i feel like heel has for me like he's not always um He's not always like directly achieving things. He's not always like the one to put in a, a cross. But I feel in both games he's come on and added like a real tenacity. He's in- increased the tempo of our of our performance. And critically for me, I think he's linked better with Udogi um, mm. than, than Son has in, in either game. I think Hill is a relational player. He's like someone who can't do it by himself. He plays quick football with others who are close by yeah. him and Udogi is the same and I feel like they've got quite a nice little okay. quite a nice little understanding that's worth keeping an eye on I guess I guess I guess the thing there is that I'm looking for Hill to do things on his own and and then and, and as you say he's looking to link up with someone else mm. um, I want him to you know take his man on basically I, I, I see him like obviously not in the same quality but i see him more of a like bernardo silva type yeah. player than a a spanish winger he, exactly i see him as a spanish winger um exactly um yeah that's that an interesting little aside on, on brian hill there because I, I do think there's been some positive things from his from his cameos um let's quickly talk about the burnley game because i i think it'll be interesting Bardi, are you expecting given the state of our squad at the moment much if any rotation uh, i don't think we can rotate that much i i'm going to the game and i i hope we don't start forster i hope um i hope I hope we oh, go gosh. reasonably strong in this game because, yeah, I would like to progress through it. And I think, I think it's important that we do progress through it. I just don't think we've got enough options. Perhaps we'll see Donnelly, maybe. Perhaps Hill will start in front of... Well, Son is gone. Son, Son will, won't be there, will he? Yeah, Son, Son won't so be there. So I, I guess we'll see um, Hill, Richarlison and um, Johnson up front. I don't think... 
Or, or he could play Kulusevski because mm. he'll be back from suspension. But I would like us to go as strong as possible, to be honest with you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree. I was looking back at the uh, team selection for the EFL Cup match against Fulham, and it was Forster, Emerson Royale, Sanchez, Van de Ven, Davis, Skip, Hoybier, Lo Celso, Solomon, Richarlison and Perisic. And frankly... A bunch of those players are no longer rotation options. They are playing, they're, they're having to play as our first teamers. So the option to rotate just isn't really there unless you think it's going to be, like you say, Hill, maybe Donnelly. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be too you know many changes. It's quite amazing from that starting lineup there is that they were hopeless against Fulham. They had no idea what, had no <laughs> idea what they were doing. But I actually think that starting lineup now would be better. Than it was then. I think I think there has been some some improvement amongst the players, especially. So yeah, so I, I think if we were to play that team now, we would be oh this is all right. This that's probably our best starting lineup that we would have fielded in the apart from Forster. Put Vicario in, and mm-hmm. we all would have been reasonably happy with that against Brighton and against Bournemouth. It's it's incredible. Some of these players have been on quite a little journey recently. <laughs> For sure, Davinson Sanchez though. <laughs> He's better yeah. than Royale at centre back, and uh, I think he's better. Uh, I think yes, sure. come on, you got to give him that. On the ball, though, he killed us in that game. But, it, ball, but I mean, uh, I'm happy. I mean, those well players have improved. There's been a journey for some of those players. Yeah, that's what getting yeah. continued game time and playing around some better players does to them. But also, Davinson's chances will be killing us right now. If he was in the squad and therefore probably playing, he'd be killing us right now. Oh I'd, be all, I'd be right. <laughs> yeah, because the, th- the thing is, it's not the passing ability, is it? It's the it's the calmness of possession. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I don't think... And centre-backs aren't really asked to pass that much. They don't really do a great deal of like creative passing. They just... Romero does... Romero does, but they don't have to, is what I'm saying. They, mm. they, they they can kind of just punch the ball into midfield and get away with that. But the key, the critical key, is similar to what Vicario has. It's the, the calmness on the ball. It's the willingness to wait for the moment to suck your man into you and then play the pass. This is a significant point of contention in my uh, Dragusin scouting at the moment. Oh, really? Thinking through this process, yeah. Mm, interesting. Okay, well, before we talk uh, Dragushin, uh, Bardi, I believe you have a question. Can you guess who I am? I'm a former Liverpool, Blackburn and Aston Villa player who played 50 games for Spurs. One of the highlights of my club career was actually beating Spurs in a cup final in 2002. Who am I? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Liverpool, Blackburn, and Aston Villa. Hmm. 
I have more clues. I'll take another clue. Nathan, do you need another clue? Oh, I think I've got it. It's Brad Friedel. <laughs> it's Brad Friedel. Well done, oh, Wendy. Wow. Brad Friedel, who went on to become the oldest to- oldest player to represent Spurs in uh, in the Premier League in 2012. My next. What were the other clues? My well, that was my next clue, and then I was going to go. I'm a goalkeeper, and then I was <laughs> I was going to really bring it in and say I'm American, just in, just in case we hadn't got there by then. Friedel in for the cup game versus Burnley, I reckon that's just the way. <laughs> I mean, Forster and Friedel aren't too dissimilar, <laughs> frankly. Like massive hands. Um, make some good reactive saves. Absolutely shocking on the ball. Love their line. They 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 love standing on the chalk. Yeah, for sure. Harry Raymond says, "Who's your pick for captain for the next two games?" Because obviously, Son is our captain. He's now at the Asian Cup. Madison and Romero are vice captains. They are both crocked. Um, so we're we're down to bare bones in terms of the the armband as well as the team selection. Who do you think will be in contention for captaincy, Bardi, for the Burnley and um, games after that? There is only one correct answer to this, and it is Gentle Ben takes the captaincy. Longest serving player at the club. Mm. Good, nice guy. Tactically astute. Give it to him. I've really, uh, been really pleased with Davies' performances, mm. but mm. also, again, all the things we talked about before in terms of the space behind and how that might affect our play are relevant concerns. But in terms of what he can do, he's done it He's done it very well. In fact, he, I uh, posted his um, his polar on Twitter last night, and he's statistically significantly better at progressing the ball with his passes and carries than, than Van der Ven has been in the season, whereas Van der Ven is much, much, much safer and secure and better under mm. pressure, right? That doesn't surprise me, actually. Not too shocking. Um... I guess the only thing with Davies is that maybe Van der Ven will be back soon and then Davies will be back at the team. Um, so then who would you go to, Vicario? Or Ben Sancour, maybe? Yeah, sure. I, it, I, I really, I like, I obviously don't know that, what their personalities are like. We're judging by how they seem to be on the pitch. Body language. <laughs> body language and, and their interviews um, with Milesy. So who who knows what they're actually like as, as people. But Ben Sancour seems like a pretty... Um, articulate and passionate but generally fairly calm footballer um i'd I'd be fine with him being captain for a couple of games i was very happy um, to see him back by the way we haven't we haven't talked about him sort of mysteriously turning up in the lineup because like he wasn't there was no talk of it he wasn't in the match day squad for brighton and then his wife is it Mm -hmm. posts uh posts onto instagram a heavily blurred screenshot from a group whatsapp conversation in which someone says l30 is back today and i think that basically every spurs fan goes oh okay he's probably you know doing treadmill work cool and then he starts (laughs) just like the man's recovery is Mm. insane so I'm guessing he obviously did um he did some ligament damage is what the club said and um he must have gone for a scan and there was probably a lot of noise in the scan and then we've assumed the worst which would be like a bad grade three mm-hmm. or maybe a heavy grade two but it turns out it's essentially a, a a one a strain a minor strain and he's you know gone through his physio and felt it and run on it and it's felt fine so they've gone yeah probably just a strain you're good to go um. But yeah, the lack of indication was an interesting one. And there is, and, and someone else pointed this out as well on Twitter, there is definitely a bit of a theme here of, of Postal Glue and the club giving um, giving the pessimistic um, uh, time frame and then just bringing the player in when they want to bring the player in. And to be honest, I'm surprised more coaches and more clubs don't do that because, like, because Bournemouth will have been preparing their pressing game 
assuming that we're playing Skipper Hoiberg as the six and going, here's where we can create the turnover. Here's where we can force them into uncomfortable areas. Um, or here's where we can deliberately invite the pass because we can then cut off the options. We're not worried about what they can do there or things like that. And then Bentacle starts, and that's a factor they won't have been preparing for. Um the other element, the other benefit of doing things that way is that if there's a setback, you're not disappointing or frustrating the fans. The fans don't go, our oh, medical team are murderers <laughs> because there's been a minor delay in like uh, injury recovery, which is a very common and normal thing to happen. So I I, I find it strange that, that more clubs don't do that, to be honest. I mean, I'm interested that on his return, again, he played as the six, and I'm really keen to see if he carries on playing as a six for Postacoglio, whether Did it's well. just situational. Did pretty well. Wasn't wasn't Basuma, but he's, you know, hardly played in a, in an entire calendar year. Um, tried a few, like, first-time no-look-round-the-corner balls that were just sort of into an area. Yeah. Uh, came off a couple of times, didn't come off a couple of times. Um, I'm guessing that that was a premeditated move, but, again, not something that you would really see Basuma doing. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, again, the thing the thing for me with Bentacore is that I think that he would be an outstanding number eight. Me too. But also, he's the only other player in the squad, in my opinion, who can do the number six role to a sufficient standard. So it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about potential incomings because I think that ties in quite nicely. It does seem like Radu Dragushin is is going to happen, um, and sooner rather than later. Uh, it, I think what's happened there is it's be- it's become really obvious that Tadebo won't be leaving in January. Nice aren't willing to, to <laughs> sell. Realise that they're in a title fight and they should probably hang on to their best player. For yeah, reason. I mean, the thing is they're five points behind PSG and that'll probably get extended, but maybe it won't and, and they'll regret selling their best player. So I get it from their perspective. And if we're not going to make an offer well over and above what they, they want for him, then they hang on to him until the summer and he goes then. Fair enough. Um, but what I really like is we've done again what we did with with Van der Ven and with Vicario, which is we've moved on quickly to our next um, target and haven't faffed about and waited and just gone back in over and over and over again for Tadiba. We've gone, right, he's not happening. Let's get Dragushin in. Um, and, I, and I really like that uh, new approach. Um, so that's good. Uh, it seems like we also want to get in a winger and a midfielder. The winger perhaps is Jota on loan, the former Celtic player who went to play in Saudi uh, and then regretted it. Uh, maybe that will happen. And the midfielder was still being linked with Conor Gallagher, but who knows if he'll actually leave Chelsea in the middle of the season, given that he's their club captain. There's lots of outgoing news as well. Hugo Lloris is gone, Bardi. Um, and and obviously Hugo Lloris stayed at Spurs for too long, but how good was he at his best? It's very, it's very sad to see Hugo leave. Um, it, it's one of those, in my in my advent calendar, I listed him, and I, I, I said he'd probably be higher than he actually was because it's just, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of space to kind of see these players for who yeah. they were. And I think right now, especially me, I, we, we just keep remembering the, the Hugo that, played bits of last season and threw the ball in whereas yeah. what we actually forget is we signed this guy from Leon who was a a actual game changer for for the Premier League game changer for goalkeeping like he was he invented the kind of word sweeper keeper and he he was mm. cutting edge man he was he was um he was I don't know what, what a, a bit of technology that's cutting edge that isn't like a Betamax or something which was at the <laughs> time was incredible but then quickly got outdated 
And um, our signing of him was, I think it was probably the first time in, in Spurs' kind of at least Premier League history where we'd signed a goalkeeper that was had a bit of longevity towards him. And, and you know, he's perhaps been here, what, over 10 years? Incredible servant. He made his mistakes, but he made far more good saves than he did mistakes. And it, it's, um, it's sad it had to end this way. I think there could have been a cleaner break to this. Perhaps he shouldn't have had his contract extended. Tottenham should have yeah. future-proofed this. Tottenham should have signed a young goalkeeper to work with him. And it's sad it's gone like this, but Hugo will, remains the best goalkeeper at Spurs in my lifetime. And um, mm-hmm. I have nothing but, but fond memories of him now. Now we've got that separation between like him and Vicario. So, yeah, it's sad. I wish him all the best, uh, a lovely goalkeeper. I think, um, yeah, you're right. We're remembering mostly uh, the last couple of seasons of Hugo Lloris. And I wonder if perhaps Vicario came in and was merely an average shot stopper, we'd be yearning more for Pete Hugo than we than we currently are, and therefore it'd be a more emotional farewell. It frustrates me a lot how we um, we uh, exposed mm-hmm. him to his decline at this club for the last sort of two or three years. Definitely, we never mm-hmm. we 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 yeah we we made it worse for him, man. We. Yeah, we we never helped him. He should have had a protege to work with, but perhaps now Tottenham will learn and, and we'll, we'll do things differently and we'll put in that kind of master-apprentice kind of partnership, especially in something as key as goalkeeping. Yeah, I do. I definitely feel like we've let him down in, in a way by by not not at least allowing him to leave um, on, on his terms on a high, um, but certainly by not bringing some competition sooner and kind of slowly easing him out i mean it was just a mess last year he was playing way too much and then it just stopped and that was it that was him done and it was a bit awkward in the summer he wanted to leave but then no one wanted him or no one to the standard he wanted to play at and now he had to settle with moving to los angeles which i'm sure you know is a perfectly good club i don't know much about los angeles fc but um not the level that hugo wanted to be playing at given the what we saw in the summer certainly and it all feels like it's ended a bit sadly, really. Yeah, well, I think six months on the sidelines with no yeah. European clubs showing interest has, has probably made him realise where he's actually at now. Mm. Um, mm. There's um, there's like a kind of almost parallel here, like him and De Gea both, you know, back in the day, excellent shot stoppers, but then just the, the game has moved on past them. I think what happened to Lloris at Newcastle when when he got subbed at half time is it you know it's it's it shouldn't it shouldn't have ended that way, and we really yeah yeah he shouldn't have started, and it should and just it's so sad for him, but um, a great servant mm. who just give us. Four or five years of a bit of space, and then he'll come back at Spurs to do the halftime chats, be roundly applauded, and everyone will remember that the fact that he's our best goalkeeper in the last yeah, the last twenty five years, thirty years, and if Vicario can mm-hmm. go on to kind of hit the levels that um, that Larus did, it'll be brilliant yeah, for sure. Um, we also uh, have Sergio Regulon coming back in January from loan at Manchester United. The reporting seems to suggest that he will head out on another loan that Man U just didn't want to keep in my guess because Luke Shaw has returned from injury and they now have Dallow who's covering sometimes at left back as well. Um, so maybe it's around need for them. Um, rather than anything to do with his performances in particular, because I think so. you know, fans really quite liked him. He, you know, from judging from the United fans that that I know and uh, what I'd read on social media, they they were quite keen on him. They should play Shaw at left centre back and keep Regulon in the squad, in my opinion. But you know, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
there's repeated links of Hoybier leaving, and I do think he'll leave in January, and I think that will then trigger something else in terms of us signing a midfielder, and whether that's Gallagher or not, I, I don't feel confident enough to say it at this point, but obviously we know Chelsea have significant issues with FFP, and Gallagher only has 18 months left in his contract, so it would seem like a quite opportunistic move. Um, but there's definitely interest, solid interest in Hoybier, and it, it comes down to whether Spurs feel they can get a guaranteed uh, deal at the end of a loan, I think, an obligation to buy rather than an option to buy. Um, James says, with us still signing young Juve rejects and bit part players, Bentancourt, Deki, Romero, and potentially Dragushing, Illing Jr. and Sule, are you as convinced as I am that Fabio is proving a point to Juve that they should have played his sick players? What do you think, Bardi? Do you think this is just um, Fabio Paratici proving a point to Juve? In my detailed knowledge of scouts, which isn't great, I think <laughs> um, I think a lot of scouting is done. You, you kind of scout what you know. So I think Paratici going after players that he knows that he's pre-scouted, that he has some kind of idea on, is is for him, it's, you know, he's doing something familiar and safe. So I think if he's already got the work on these guys, he already understands and knows what they have, then I think you, you tend to go where you feel most comfortable. So um, I'm all for it because so far he's not really let us down anywhere, really, in terms of in terms of science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I'm sure he loves being proven right, but yeah, mainly I think his style of of scouting, which is you know contact orientated, um, players that he already knows, is a uh, is definitely a significant way he's going to go. Man, I uh, last night I was watching Dragusin's only start under Pirlo, and uh, Kulusevski played in that game, and he was bloody outstanding. What are they playing at, man? What are they like? Who was Kulusevski? Hilarious. Yeah, Kulusevski's a good player, but Allegri, Allegri's gone to Allegri. <laughs> Um, so we also have reporting that our young winger slash forward June Soon Sup Bell is wanted by a bunch of championship and league one clubs on loan, which sounds like very good news to me. Like I don't think he, uh, I don't see him as one of our absolutely outstanding prospects, but he's certainly a, a, a perfectly passable player and he's had plenty of goal involvements in the under 21s this year. Uh, he's done really well in that respect. I think that if we sign Dragushin anytime soon, we also need to find pretty much immediate loans for, for Phillips and Dorrington because there's no point in them just being on the bench for the rest of the season. They they need games. They need to be playing. They need to be out playing men's football. Uh, and I'd say if we get them even League One or League Two loans, then I'd rather them go away and play some football and come back in the summer for pre-season having actually played, you know, 20 odd matches I think that would be a, a great thing there's several other um, youth players that I think that could go out on loan as well if he's not going to use Santiago then we should be looking to get him out on loan I think Niall John needs another loan Matthew Craig probably at this point needs a loan there's there's several others um, so I'm really hoping that Spurs get it together with their youth development pathway over the next year and I'd love to see that start in, in January um, any other incoming links you want to talk about Nathan? Kind of very focused on Dragushin at the moment. Um, has there been anyone new in the last since we last recorded? I don't think. I so. think we should sign Aliso. That's what I, I've I've done oh. some scouting, and I I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's a madness not to sign this guy. He's unbelievable. Hmm. I already did my Aliso video two years ago or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm. So I I 
really wanted Elise before he joined Crystal Palace. I really wanted Alex Scott before he joined Bournemouth. The, the problem is we 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 tend to wait too long now. And we we want the finished player rather than the potential player. And well, we brought in you know Sarr and Udogi for yeah. for example. We brought in Valise. But like, what it's we not did like with them happen. was what we should be doing with the homegrown players as well. We brought them in and we got them out on loan and we mm. allowed them to continue developing. And then we we got them back in the in the squad for uh, pre season. I guess especially with 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 Scott um, is that like yeah he'd be coming into the Donnelly situation right where he's he's looking to play in the role and behind the pecking order of Madison Celso Kulusevski would he would he have signed I guess it's his boyhood club so would he have signed with his boyhood club to then go back out on loan when he could just be a starter for a a very good Premier League side mm. I think I think uh, I think Scott comes up again in the future for us probably. Yeah, I think so as well. But, um, yes, will be much more expensive because of the the chronology of it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, I watched a couple of championship games this weekend just gone, and there are some really talented young players in the championship at the moment. And I think Spurs should be keeping an eye on, keeping tabs on several players. Sunderland have got like a plethora mm. of, of really talented young players. I, I love Dan Neal, their central midfielder. Jack Clark is obviously an outstanding, outstanding player. <laughs> We've done it again. Another episode with Jack Clark mentioned. <laughs> yes, he, had, he had an incredible assist the other oh, day. Oh really my good. goodness. Really good, really good. Um, Joe Bellingham is is looking a good player at Sunderland as well. I think it's we a matter of time before well, someone picks him up. And I watched the... Um, the Peterborough Derby match as well, and I really like Kwame Poku, the um, the Peterborough attacking midfielder winger. He looks a talented player as well, and um, I had a brief chat with Matt Trevelyan about him, who thinks he's really good. So, yeah, it's not just <clears throat> it's not just a one one game thing for him. He's obviously doing well consistently. Windy, um, you would never stop talking about Jack Clark, will you? I think he's really good. <laughs> I really like him. <laughs> I think he's a really good player. Okay, how about this one? Uh, this is a question from a little while ago, but I think it's an interesting one. So Paul Maslin says, A year or so from now, how many of Son, Kulusevski, Johnson and Richarlison will be starting regularly for Tottenham? And is it possible the answer will be none of them? There are deficiencies across the board. So this is quite an interesting talking point, given you know Son's age, um, the perceived inadequacies of Richarlison and Johnson. Kulusevski, I, I would separate out from the others. I think Kulusevski will almost certainly be starting for us in a, a year from now. I think he's a brilliant player who's just keeps getting better and better. But what do you reckon? Um, Son, Kulusevski, Johnson, Richarlison, which do you think will still be regular starters for Spurs in a year's time? I would time? have said one, which would have been Kulusevski. But if you take him out, I would say probably none. I'm pretty sure we will, we will sell Richarlison now. He started to score some goals. I think Son will become perhaps more of an impact player. I would like to see that happen. I don't really want to sell him now. I don't think there's much to be gained from that, but I would like to keep him around the club, but start moving, like start improving and moving on from there. And Johnson, I, I just don't, what I've seen from him so far, unless he has a massive turnaround, I just don't think he's going to be a starter, but I think he'll be a decent um, decent option. Nathan, obviously you've gone on and on about how you want a 1v1 winger in the squad. Uh, I assume that has a big impact on how you will answer this question. Yeah, I guess starting regularly is an interesting one because like all four of those players only start together, I guess, in a situation where Madison is injured, mm. right? Because otherwise one of them's got to be on the bench. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I think there will be a continuous rotation. I think all of those players are good and useful for the squad and will be still in a year's time. So, you know, whoever we play last game of the calendar year next season... 
I don't think all four will start, but I think all four will probably still be in rotation, still be seen as 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 tools. Because yeah, I, I want us to sign a one v one specialist, and he's going to take minutes from these four collectively in some way. Um, I want to talk about Madison for a moment because. Um, Kulusevsky's really, really impressed, uh, especially in the Newcastle game, playing in a central role. Um, some ways, playing a central role really plays to his strengths, and he seems to like it. In some ways, it can limit his time on the ball and affect him negatively in that sense. The Celso just had a really good game. Many people's man of the match against Bournemouth. I think Udobi was better, but that's beside the point. Um, and so we might say, like, does, does Madison have any fear for his place? Um, but I think where those two players have been really good, um, Madison does more for us in our build up play, um, than the other two can. His ability to recognize which space to move into, receive the ball on the turn, um, and, and dictate our game in those deeper positions is what really separates him from the other two. And he has the similar final third brilliance that the other two have as well. Um, I think having Madison back in the squad will do a hell of a lot for us in every phase of play. Um, which is why um, I will also add the Celso's name to this list and say we need to sell the Celso because his stock mm. is high right now. Because we have Kulisevsky, because we have Donnelly, because we have Son and Johnson and Richarlison. Um, because Barcelona are interested. I would wait until the end of the January window because we need him through the stretch. But if we can sell the Celso, um, we've got a game on the 31st. That's annoying. If we can sell the Celso on, you know, on the 30th, um, get him through the next couple of games. Oh, man. I think that's, that, I think that would be a good use of him because his stock oh. is high right now. He's playing, he's playing the best football he's played for Spurs in a long time. Immediately sell because you just, you don't know what, you know, his availability is a significant issue and our, his role is the, is the one in which we have the best depth. Um, I think, I think we should be trying to provoke a market, uh, make Barcelona activate some more levers or whatever. And uh, and get some money for Lo Celso to invest elsewhere. So this is a quote from Lo Celso post match. He said, oh, right. uh, um, "I think the team is on the right track. I'm just really happy and enjoying this oh. new era at the club with my teammates, and I feel oh. more and more settled. I think the coach has got the most out of all the players because he has a clear playing style that we love, me especially, and we've oh. always shown our best side and had chances to win it even when we've lost." Yeah, Nathan A. Clark, <laughs> sell him immediately. Get this man out of my club. Oh, I um, love hearing I love hearing from several players now how much playstyle matters to them. Yeah. How much how much Ange makes his players fall in love with his approach to football, how much that motivates players. And I would sell or sell so if a good offer came in in this window. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't sell him this window. I, I think I was in favour of selling him this window because I thought he wanted to go. But after hearing that, after hearing he settled, I think the summer was is the right time to move him on. But I do think I agree with you. It's the right time to sell him because, like you say, we've got Madison, we've got Kudasevsky. We'll probably have signed... Gallagher or someone of a similar profile. We've got Donnelly coming through. We've got Alfie Devine coming back from loan. There's plenty of attacking midfield options um, there. And, and yeah, I, I do think a, a player that we can only rely upon to be fit for half the season who has significant value in Spain is, is a player worth cashing in on. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't fall into the this kind of trap of propaganda like you, Wendy. So I would quite happily sell him. But I think the difference between like him... Kulusevski and then Madison. It's just, I just think Madison opens up the pitch more for us. He's he's one-footed as well, but he's not kind of 
that one-footed like the other two. I think he gives us more in build-up, definitely more in long-range passing. And he'll just do different passes compared to Kuliseski. I like Kuliseski in the middle, but I still I don't think he's quite there yet to be... He's a great rotation option, but he's not there yet as a starter. Mm. Mm. I really agree with that point about Madison. I think um, he he will use his weaker foot more than Kulusevski and and Lacelso will, but also he uses all parts of his yeah. strong foot, and I think that opens up many more um, passing angles. I think there's an argument that James Madison is our best player, to be honest. Uh, certainly, he's in the top three, and he will elevate us significantly when he's back. I think he was absolutely outstanding at the beginning of the season and was really making us tick. The thought of him being back in the team at the end of the month is is a very very exciting prospect. Now that a lot of the other players have improved and we've kind of we clicked into this this style, um, God, we're going to have such a strong end to the season this year. All these players coming back, and you know, yes, they've been out for a while, but I I, I think oh, I'm just very excited about the fact that they've they've come back and they've rested. That they, they might have had injuries, but they the the minutes aren't in their legs, and they'll be nice and fresh and good to go and. God, we're going to be a hell of a team to watch. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nathan Aiklar. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan Aiklar. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Subs, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.